I am Shanae, and today we are reading from Luke 14, verse 1 to 24. Luke 14, verse 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed them. He healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And then they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take place of honour for a person for a person more import, distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invites both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But what you, when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and blind, and you'll, bless, you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, they said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the, king's do- in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just just bought five five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, I cannot come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the road, roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thank you.
Yes, welcome to you. If you're, if you're new to church, if you're new to this church, maybe on Zoom or physically, let me just cue, cue you in. We're in a, a, a sermon series that we are calling, well, we're not calling it anything. It's called A Meal with Jesus based on a book, this sort of, this book that is called A Meal with Jesus, uh, written by a man named Tim Chester. What Tim Chester tells us, and, and I don't know how much you know about Jesus, but if you look at his life, as it's shown to us throughout the Bible, you know, Jesus came to establish a world that will work the way that God wants it to work. It's, it's beginning now, but it won't really be full and complete until the end of time when Jesus returns and in full, the world will work as God wants it to work. And then Tim Chester tells us, if you look at the life of Jesus, the way that he showed, while he was with us in human form on earth, how God's world will work, is he did so through eating and drinking. He had meals with people. And he looks at all the meals that Jesus did, all the parties he went to, and he picks up on some important things about God's world that we see in the meals that Jesus had. We've seen... Something about grace. We've seen something about community. We've seen something about hope. And as Mike said to us this morning, in today's meal, we're going to see something about mission. This meal that Shanae read to us about is going to illustrate that to us. There's some overlap in these themes, and I'm not going to say everything that is to be said about this passage that Shanae read today. I'm just going to summarize the chapter in the book for us, really and apply it to our lives as, as we live it here. Just before I kick in, um, one last thing. I'm going to have a question for you, and maybe, Ben, if you can kick me just one slide back. This question I'm going to have on the screen here. I don't think I'll have my act together to have it on the screen in the television out there for you. But it's a question I kind of would like to have displayed for us for after church. You know after church when you have your bicky and your coffee and you meet a new person or you talk to a friend and you don't really know what to talk about, so we talk about the footy or the weather or whatever else it is, why not talk a little bit more about maybe what God is showing you today about your life, about himself. And I want to pop this question up here, I'll pop it in your minds now, eventually in weeks to come we'll have it on the screen out there. Just ask to the person who you might be talking to, what do you think God is showing you today? What, what, what from what we heard here, uh, do you think God might be revealing to you for the first time? Whether you know God or not, whether you've walked with him for a long time or not, talk about it. Talk about what you don't understand. Talk about what is unclear. Talk about, actually don't talk about the guy up the front. There's too many faults <laughs> that you can explore in that conversation, but talk about it. Well, you know, we're really here to grow each other very much, and, and do that for each other. I, I ask you and I encourage you, so the question will be up here and it will be out there as well. All right, we'll jump into this passage that Shanae read to us. I'm going to jump straight into verse 12. I'm going to skip over this first. Here's what verse 12 said. Jesus said to his host which was a rich religious man. He's having, he's having a meal at a, at a rich religious man's house. 
And at one point he says to this rich religious man this. He says in verse 12, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so, you will be repaid. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Isn't that, how, isn't that just life? It's how we work? I invite my friends and my family and my, my relatives and my people to come into my house and, and share food with me in the hope in the expectation, perhaps, maybe I don't state that expectation, but you know what? My aim is that I want to make friends. I want this relationship to be a two-way street. Yes, I hope to be invited back. Yes, I hope to form some sort of a, a, a group or a community around me. This, this is how my world works. It's how your world works, perhaps. And it's definitely how Jesus' world worked. So he goes, the context into which he says this is, is the previous verse. Did you, did you pick that when Shanae read? Jesus looked at how the people and the guests at this dinner picked places of honour. It's a little bit different in their day to ours. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about what a meal would have looked like for them. People about 9 to 12, would sit in a U-shaped arrangement uh, on the floor, most likely, in a room, in a big house, and the place of highest honour was where the guest, or the host, rather, sat sort of right in the middle of this whole show. That would be where your host would be. And then from there outwards are the places of honour. So the person who sits right Next to the host is the place of the highest honour. And so the further you go away from that point, the less and less, less, and less honour until you get eventually to, this is how it worked in those days, meals were very public. Onlookers could come from the street and they would stand in an adjacent room and sort of look in and follow the conversation. It was, I don't know, almost like reality TV style open gatherings. It, it was weird. It's, it's weird to us, but it's how it worked, okay? This is how the ancient world worked. And they would jostle, always, in public view of the onlookers for these meals to see who's going to get seated next to the host. They are the people who are being honoured. And hosts would be very careful in who they let Sit right next to them, yeah? The hope is that if I get you to sit in the place of honour, my ulterior motive is that I would hope that I get invited to your place and then you are going to let me sit in the place of honour at your place and so we are going to become a bit of a crowd and Groupies, or call it whatever you want to call it in our language, but this is how the ancient world worked. I put it to you, this is how your world, and my world kind of works too. 
Your house is your place of honour. You see, we don't have public meals like they did. We live in a world where we each have our own house. But when you invite someone into your house, to your table, you're inviting them into a place of honour. It's an intimate space. It's your space. And you're saying to them, come into the place of honour. And whether it's your intention or not, I think the reality is what happens most often is that you get invited back into their place of honour. And, you know, so we kind of form the groups and circles and dividing lines of our society uh, as we know it, right? And right into that comes Jesus <laughs> with an incredible statement. It, I'll read it again. Please take it in for me, will you? When you invite someone into your place of honour, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbours, which we can take as the people who I want to associate with and invite in my social group, because the rich neighbours for that Pharisee, that was the people he wanted to be associated with. Those are the people he got to his place. Those are the people whose place he wanted to go to. For you, for me, don't invite the people who you want to associate with or be associated with. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. And you know what Jesus does at that point? I think he left it hanging. I think he wants to say to us, is that all you want? There is so much more that you should seek, that you should want, that you should desire, that you should have, particularly as a child of God, if you consider yourself a child of God. Here's what, here's what you should have and could have. If you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And so, you'll be blessed. Blessed is a term of deep satisfaction, deep joy, happiness, you want to be all those things? Invite those people into your intimate space. Although they cannot repay you, although there's no two-way street or benefit for you to associate with them, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you want to do Jesus proud, if you want to be blessed, eat and drink with those who struggle in life, who do not know Jesus, who can give you nothing in return. That's his point. I hear two objections <laughs> from myself, first of all. And maybe from you. Can I echo them and you tell me whether that's what you think? Number one, why the poor? Why not 
on it my fellow upper middle class mates. He seems to be very specific on the poor here, the, the down and out, whether they're poor by choice or not, neither here nor there. It's the messed up, the broken. Why the poor? Why them? Christianity puts so much emphasis on reaching the influences, the, the popular, the rich, the wealthy. They're the people who need to know Jesus and become children of God because they can affect great change for the gospel. There's probably a place for that, except if you read through the entire gospel of Luke, you will not find it. Not in Jesus, anyway. He goes for the poor. Again and again and again and again. Why? What is it about it that, that, that makes it so important for Jesus to say, if you want to be blessed, get the poor into your house, into your space? Why? I think here's why, because, <laughs> ironically, the guy to whom, if, if you know your Bible, if you don't know, the Bible is lots of different books, and this is from one of those books called the book of Luke. The guy with the name Luke wrote this book. And you know who he wrote it to? He wrote it to another guy whose name was Theophilus. He was a rich guy. He wanted to make up his mind over Jesus. He wanted to say, do I want to believe in Jesus? Do I take him seriously? That he is who he said he was? And you know how Luke wants to convince Theophilus that Jesus is the deal? He shows him a Jesus who loves and cares for the poor. Isn't that ironic? That the rich are convinced by the love of Jesus for the poor that they need him. That they need him. There is not a single person in this room, arguably in this world, who does not have the highest of respect when they hear the name Mother Teresa. Why? Because she loved the poor more than any of us. A single reason why the entire Roman Empire bowed its knee to Jesus in 3400 AD is not because the Christians converted the emperor, it's because they loved the poor. It's because they took the unwanted dying babies off the street and cared for them in their intimate spaces. They took the lepers, they took the blind, they took every single unwanted, poor, broken, fractured piece of society and they ate and drank with them. The reason why anyone on the northwest coast of Tasmania or in Devonport would take Jesus seriously is if we love the poor. It's Jesus' way. At least that's what Luke tells us. Why do I have to eat and drink with them? <laughs> right? You would say, I do Grand's Van. Ten times a year I, I hand out the soup. Right? I have five and I'm happy to have 15 compassion-sponsored children. I feed the poor. I care for the poor. Are you saying I personally, personally need to invite, I mean, meals 
are intimate, right? Into my place of honor. The down and out, the poor, the struggling, who don't know Jesus, is it not enough that I give substantial amounts of my money, substantial amounts of my time in serving? Surely that qualifies. Surely that sends me and sets me up okay. Is it not enough? No, it's not. It's not. You know, you're called to do all the other things, but you're called to follow Christ personally into a broken and a hurting world. You are being filled with his spirit to become personally like him who personally came into your life to personally reach out to you. (laughs) It's the call of Christ, right? To you, to me. Writing a check keeps the poor at a distance. Jesus was the friend of sinners. In fact, Here's what Tim Chester writes. It's a very powerful quote. If we think that we are enacting grace if we provide for the poor, we are enacting grace if we provide for the poor, but we're only halfway there. We've missed the social dynamics. What we communicate when we just give money is that we're able, you're unable. I can do something for you, you can do nothing for me. I'm superior to you. We cloak our superiority in compassion, but superiority cloaked in compassion is patronizing. Think how different the dynamic is when we sit and eat with someone. We meet as equals. We share together. We affirm one another. We enjoy one another. If you are from a background of poverty, you know what this guy is talking about, right? You know the world of difference between someone chucking stuff at you and someone coming and say, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me in my intimate space. Those two things are not the same. And Jesus is saying to his children, be like me. (laughs) This is salt. This is light. You are called, invited to be a personal... Christian means a little Christ, if you don't know even where we got the term from. Be like me, is the call of Jesus. That's the first point. It's the biggest and the longest one, so you're doing well. We move on. Jesus tells another little parable. I won't read it out to you verse by verse. I'll just put the words up on the screen and you can re-familiarize yourself with it there. Here is the point Jesus wants to make. I think he attacks the reasons why we don't often do this speaking to you if you are a child of God here. You cannot belong to Jesus while pursuing your own goals in life more than his. You cannot belong to Jesus while pursuing your own goals in life more than his. 
Let me just clarify, I'm not saying you can earn your childhood of God by doing some things and not doing other things. I'm simply saying if you are a child of God, what your father wants is what's most important to you. You love what he wants, or at least desire to, and are moving closer and closer towards your life, reflecting his priorities. In the story that Jesus tells here, we see this in the life of these people who get invited to a banquet by a master who represents God in the story, right? Come to a banquet. This is the invitation of, of Jesus to you. Come to a life with me. Come to be blessed and living as a child of mine now and forevermore. And so it starts with responding to that invitation by just believing it. But the master in the story gets these bogus excuses from the people. They're bogus excuses. No one buys a bunch of oxen or a field without having seen it before. <laughs> so they're, not, they're saying, I'm not going to come to your party because I just bought some oxen in a field and I've got to go and see it. They've already seen it. And even if they haven't, the party's at night. No one goes to look at a bunch of oxen. I don't, I've never owned oxen, but maybe you have. You don't look at them at night, do you? You go in the day. The person who got married... I just, got, I just got married. There's no way in a small ancient Near Eastern society this host would throw this big banquet on the same day as a big wedding day. That marriage happened before. You see, these people, they're not coming because they don't want to come. There are other higher priorities for them that they want more than to be at this great and glorious banquet. And, and here's the question then for us, folks, um, you know, maybe you can be in one of two places, and that's where I'll land in a minute when I finish this. Maybe you're in the place where you've never responded to Jesus' invitation to you at all. To you, you should come to him because the banquet's worth it. The Christian life is worth it. Jesus is worth it. The happiness and satisfaction and fullness and healing and freedom and hope all the things that Jesus offers, it's worth it. Come, do not let whatever it is that's holding you from him put you off. Whatever your misconceptions or misunderstandings of this host, please look into those. He's worth it. Others are here today who, who, who perhaps are children of God but struggle to be like this host. Struggle to put on the parties that he put on. Struggle to invite open hearts and homes to this degree to the poor and the unwanted. And like the people who bought the oxen, the fields, got married, our excuses are also just a matter of priorities, misaligned priorities. There are three things that keep us from, I think, inviting the poor into our homes. I think I'm guilty of all three of them personally, but I'll, I'll take you through what they are. <laughs> Number one, it's too scary <laughs> or too awkward. 
In fact, I think this is often an excuse we have, period, for getting people into our places of honour, right? You know what the key one is? It's too scary because I don't know what they're going to think of my house and all the cleaning I've got to do to get the house ready before they come. You know, I've got to even mow the lawn and make sure that my closet's all perfectly because they're never going to look there. But this is what it feels like, isn't it? I feel like that sometimes. It's just too scary. I don't... And maybe you're, you're too overly self-conscious about your intimate space or your house. I can never let someone into my house. What? No. What will they think of me? <laughs> Is that a problem? You think as we're saying underneath that already that I care more that the honour or lack of honour that I think will be accompanied in their perception and judgement of me than what they really need. You see, our focus, Tim Chester says, is on entertaining, in impressing others. The focus of true hospitality is on serving others. This person needs the love, as Ton said, of Jesus. They can find it in my house, in my place of honour. How dare I let what their impressions of me or my own will, the impressions of myself should, should stand in the way of that, right? You may say, I don't even have a house. Go out for coffee. I don't know if they like the coffee I'll buy. Doesn't matter. I don't do crowds. Go one-on-one. Our second objection is too costly. You know, there's some here today for whom that's legit. You know, it's, it's too, too much money to have people over and feed them and be intimate with them? Perhaps. But you know and I know that the truest and most precious meals you have shared were with people who did not seek to impress you. In fact, it was with those who had precious little and they shared what they had. That is blessing. It's the extra cup of rice, extra piece of bread. There are those for us, of us for whom this is not legit. Like me, perhaps you're just plain stingy. Because you think that you should put on the roast, get craft beer, uh, for the kids' party, get the clown and the jumping cart. You know what I mean? This is the world's expectation. You don't dare invite someone into your house until you've got all this right. This is what Master Chef tells us. This is what hospitality has been reduced to. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. And even if it does cost a bit, you have access to the meal that defines every single human being's life. The bread and the wine. And you know what that costs. You know what it costs. How dare I say, I will not bear the cost. Of course I'll bear the cost. I should. <laughs> I'm too busy. It's the last one before I wrap up. You know, there's again some of those who would say, I'm very busy. It's legit. Can I invite you, as I've encouraged myself, to invite someone for an existing ordinary meal in your house? 
You don't have to put the extra Saturday out. Take the Wednesday night, take the Tuesday night, feed them what you feed your kids. Ordinary meal. Doesn't have to be extra. We often resist this because we don't want to, we think that it's all the work. I've got to do all the dishes afterwards, the work and the cleanup, right? I don't even have a dishwasher at home. That's why I never invite you. It's too much work. Many would offer to help, and we'd say, no, no, you don't help. No, no. Let them help. <laughs> do this together. True community. True fellowship, true love, true intimacy, right? This is a place of honour. Our refusal to help and our misaligned priorities to impress often makes us go at the end of the day, nah, too hard. Then there are others for whom the too busy excuse is not legit. Just plain lazy and just can't be bothered. Not generous with our time. Or perhaps our priorities are misaligned. We're making ourselves too busy with things that are less worthy, less important, less honourable, right? Friends, I'm hoping I could show you that all of these, while not buying oxen fields or getting married, but each of these, really, when we think deep down, ultimately, each of these excuses is either because we believe a lie of Satan about true hospitality in our culture, or... There are just other things that we want more, that are more important to us. I don't think we should add anything to our busy schedules, but could we think what we could change? What we could change to create space? I'm not saying that this should happen every other day in our lives, but what if I could have two meals a year with someone who needs Jesus, who's down and out? Maybe one a year is a good start. Right? It's that small. And we grow in the grace and wonder of God. So with that, let me wrap up. I've already said this last point. I don't have to make it again. You're going to ask yourself, is it worth to do all of this? Point number three, yes. It's worth it. Because the starting point is that you are a poor, crippled, lame and blind person who've been invited personally by Jesus to the meal of the ages and you are there. And the extent to which you understand that that is the very thing that got you into everything good about Jesus that you know is the very thing that you simply pass on by bringing others to that table. That's it. So if we struggle with this, our first prayer ought to be, Jesus, show me anew, again, afresh, my own blindness, my own poverty, how crippled I am and how grateful I can be and should be that I get to sit at your table that you took me in for an ordinary meal, which was your body and your blood. Show me it. Reveal to me again just the glory of it in such a way that for me to pay that forward is just second nature. It's a no-brainer. I just do it. Do that for me, please. Maybe you're here today and like I said earlier, you haven't come to that table yet. <laughs> I invite you again now. God loves you. Jesus loves you. In your poverty, in your brokenness, he wants to feed you a food that will last, that will satisfy. 
You may not understand all of it. You may not understand how it works, but I extend to you the invitation to talk to me, talk to a Christian friend. If nothing else, and you can't even explain it, you feel drawn to respond today, just pray with me. Just echo this prayer in your heart after me that I'm now going to pray. Come to the table. You're invited. Millions are refusing it because millions are obsessed and occupied with less than worthy things in life. May that not be you today. Go for the better thing, the better one who calls you, who made you, who loves you. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much that even in our poverty, you loved us, cared for us, came to us, and let nothing stand in the way of drawing us to you. Lord, I pray for those who have not responded to your invitation, whatever they understand about God. Lord, I pray that you would add to that, not just in a way that makes sense in, in my head, but in a way that makes sense in my heart, that somehow in you there is satisfaction, joy, freedom, hope, community. And Lord, that I want it and that today is the day where I say, Lord Jesus, please take me in. I pray for your children in this building. Lord, fill us, give us grace and stir in us such an appetite to be like you, to invite those who cannot repay us, those who we may not understand, our tables, to feel the warmth, the love that you have for them. We pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Music team, thank you very much.